there's the phrase like communication is key and i heard this yeah. on another podcast i forgot who the comedian was basically it's not communication is key like good open honest communication is key that's like saying mm -hmm. the key to good painting is paint or the key to a good meal is is the food <laughs> totally yeah welcome to the x-files a podcast about breakups broken hearts and moving on i'm claire and i'm janice we are breakup coaches here to help you beat your breakup, heal your broken heart, and move on to an amazing, abundant life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of X Files and another guest interview. You know, Claire and I have so much to share with everybody. We haven't been doing as many guest interviews as we did in the early days of X Files um, for for that reason, um, but we've had a couple on recently and including this week's episode, which is with Brian Dunn, who is a friend of mine. He is a dating and relationship coach, divorced father of two, and I would say um, a very knowledgeable dater and someone who's very good at open communication, mm -hmm. which is why I wanted to have him on. Um, Brian and I do a weekly clubhouse room and I've gotten to be good friends with him through that and through doing that room with him. I've just been so impressed, like constantly and consistently about his dating tips and his ability to um, ask for what he wants and navigate relationships after after divorce. So I was really excited to have him on. So especially if you're a male identifying listener, we know that you're about 50% of our listeners, honestly. Yes. So this is an episode for you. One of my favorite parts um, is through through listening to a lot of his stories throughout the um, interview, I was like, this guy does not have trouble getting dates on the dating apps, which is not something I typically hear mm -hmm. from men yeah. <laughs> about dating he, apps so he had a lot of luck I think at one point I believe that he told us that before his current relationship following his divorce he went on 80 dates 80 first, first dates. dates first dates yes. yeah so mm -hmm. so there's lots of stories in there we hope you yeah. enjoy that I just wanted to make a note too I think in the beginning of the episode Brian mentions a book no more Mr. Nice Guy and says it's the male form of codependency and we just want to note and acknowledge that codependency is not gendered and any person can be codependent i don't think brian meant anything by yep. it so we just wanted to note it in the intro so that you didn't think suddenly that men can't be codependent so the views expressed in the episode do not necessarily <laughs> represent the views no i stand by everything he said i think yeah. that's a really good point as someone who actually has attended uh codependence anonymous meetings you know i can absolutely assure you it's something that affects everybody exactly. um, i think yeah. sometimes you know issues of attachment and issues of codependence affect men differently and so i'm glad that he suggested the book and i'm i'm glad that you're giving a note there um and i'm glad we did this episode um i think it's valuable to have his perspective as a dating coach and also equally valuable to have his perspective as someone who just Man, he does dating, right? Don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was awesome and very interesting. So we hope that you enjoy this episode. Before I forget, um, I'm a big fan of Brian. Please go and check out his website, Brian C 
done.com. Of course, we will drop it in the show notes as well. Go check out what he is doing. Um, I'm really excited, you know, um, to have his voice um, in this space. With that, should we get on with it, Claire? Let's get on with it. (laughs) Okay, welcome to X-Files, Brian. How is it going over in sunny San Francisco? It's going really great. And yes, uh, it's been a little overcast lately, but today weather's really fantastic. So it's great sitting here in the afternoon, sun shining in on my plants and stuff. Oh, well, so we've been on the struggle train here in Denver with the, with the weather as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I'll, yeah, I'll try and send some of my sun your way. <laughs> Thank you. We sure do need it. Um, but I'm breaking one of my rules, which is um, to not talk about the weather on the show. <laughs> so um, let's let's get into it. Um, Brian is a friend of mine, and I know a bit about his backstory. And I've been so excited to share that. And so I thought maybe we would start out the episode um, talking about your breakup story. I know that um, the fact that you're divorced is, is a big part of your story that you, you know, speak really openly about. Um, so let's get into it. Do you mind maybe telling us about it and then how it actually took you into the industry of dating coaching? Yeah. i yeah, um, happy to talk about, about my marriage, my divorce. I've had some relationships and breakups since then, but I the know. divorce was like the big one. So yeah. I got married very young. I was a dad, married and became a father at 2021. 20, Married for 17 years, had a, a second child when I was around 27. Um, they're both big adults now, mostly adults, um, most days. And uh, but yeah, so 2015 or so, I basically had had been starting to have some gears turn, but realizing I, I wasn't happy. And um, so a few different things happened, but realizing I'm not happy. Are um, my wife at the time, my ex-wife and I haven't really had a conversation like about anything but the kids in like a good seven, eight years. I can remember we would drive between San Francisco area and Seattle where my parents live. And for Christmas, you know, that's like 14, 15 hours one way. And 2014 Christmas, I was realizing in the car, like we're listening to music, kids are in the back, but we're not talking. And I don't remember the last time we talked on one of these trips or in a car about anything like what's going on with the kids so that was one of the first things and then I realized kind of a few things here and there I'm happy at work I'm happy with you know um, talking to my friends have conversations I laugh with my friends but when I go home it's what the kids are doing or sit down take care of the family weekends are errands and just being a dad but I started to realize I like the marriage was just co-parents and and roommates, but not so much the relationship between, you know, Mm. husband and wife anymore. So that got me starting to feel. And then I I went to a few therapy sessions and was talking about that to kind of figure out, figure out what was going on and come on your own with with the therapist at first, just to try to process that, but not couples counseling, just not yet alone thinking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was starting to feel shame. Like what's going on. I'm, I'm, yeah. You know, because when we got married, it was okay. We get married, and I'll take care of the family and and fulfill my father, my husband duties, and take care of everyone. Um, but it just that just became my life was filling that obligation, and I had lost track of myself. So yeah, I went to therapy a couple times, took home some tools from the therapist, like um, to work with my wife on, and to to start having that conversation. For example, um, just bringing out my feelings and then what kind of relationship 
ship do we want to have and how do we co-create that like how do we work on building that uh, together again and as we started having those conversations um, we started working on things um, the harder that like the more we tried the more it was apparent that my feelings had gone cold many, many years prior. Yeah. Um, I mentioned like we hadn't had conversations, but like it was basically a sexless marriage with, you know, birthdays, Valentine's Day, you know, kind of the obligatory times. But other than that, like, you know, good five, seven, eight years, that was what our, our marriage had become. So yeah, so, so the more we tried to rekindle things, the more clear it was that things weren't working. Like we were at a, like an anniversary dinner. We, the two of us went out to dinner and she was talking and then she looked at me and was like okay now it's your turn and I sat there and I couldn't think of anything to say and it was like, like no desire well I mean I I was just drawing a blank and I just yeah. sort of slow motion saw like the look on her face and after like 30 40 seconds I, I thought of something but it was just like so strained yeah. uh, we did get through the dinner and we went you know walked around town and looked at you know some little gift shops and stuff so we had a, a decent time but that was like one of the big times where I realized yeah, I'm, I'm trying, but there's just nothing there anymore. So yeah. it became a process of how do I process this on my own, work with her and sort of extract myself from this, giving her enough time to come to terms with everything mm -hmm. and then get to a point where she was okay. Then we could tell the kids and then sort through how that's going to look with me moving out and what all of that becomes. There were, we, we did try to go to couples counseling, but also she was having a very hard time. So just getting her to be able to, to go see somebody, um, that was a little bit of a struggle. And so she, the, the person she liked, we had an opening like once a month. So she went like two or three times, but it was still like, I wanted her to go to be able to process things. She wasn't taking it very well. Mm -hmm. um, but just that whole process was a matter of how do I do this? Uh, as gently and as thoughtfully as possible, while still respecting that I, I, once I woke up from this kind of sleepwalking days or this coma that I've been in for so long, I can't go back and force myself to pretend to be happy and, and be fulfilled in that relationship anymore. So it was a matter of getting out. And then from there, it was a multi-year process of going to therapy and co-parenting and and figuring out how to best be there for the kids who were around 13 16 17 at the time wow that's um, rough and so yeah. my younger one right when she started to hit puberty also our cat of like 14 years passed away big sister went off to college yeah. I moved out like everything hit her at once and it was just <sighs> so much going on for her but that was when just it rains, uh, it pours sometimes. yeah when it rains it pours um so that was just dealing with that um, and getting back out on my own and figuring out, okay, what do I do with my life now that I have, you know, woken up and see that I want more out of my life than just fulfilling a role of taking other care of other people. I needed to yeah. take care of myself. So just figuring out what that looks like basically moving forward. I, I keep on having these like kind of shots or images in my mind of like a movie or a TV show or something, because what you've just described is depicted like so often in, mm -hmm. in TV shows and movies about, you know, couples that get into this kind of rut and deciding that they don't want, you know, that one of them, or maybe perhaps both of them don't want to live this way anymore. And that life is meant to be full, more full of joy. And then, you know, deciding, wow, 
what what do I do next? I don't really know myself. And I'm, I'm just picturing you, you know, looking onto the horizon of the golden gate bridge and (laughs) trying to decide what's next. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was scary, but also empowering to realize like waking up and realize I had all of these other feelings and desires for life. Yeah. Uh, But looking back, it was like, we had got together so young we changed over the years. I had grown through work and career and she was mostly a stay-at-home mom, but had jobs here and there, um, really focusing on the kids. And we had moved from Seattle area to Northern California, um, but we just really grew apart, grew in different directions. And we, like, if you're the same person you are at 35 as you were when you're 20, you haven't done much growth. We had just yeah. gone through so much and become different people. And and the other thing was just looking back when I got out of my marriage, um, wanting to make sure I do better next time and, and are better in relationships, so learning yeah. how to communicate, but also how to continue to nurture the relationship. Like when we moved to California, she was very worried about having a babysitter. I think we had like one date night out of all those years since 2004 to 2015, where we actually had a babysitter and went out because she was worried. <gasps> no of it. way. No. We did have like one weekend to Las Vegas when my parents came down from Seattle to watch the kids, but we didn't nurture it. We didn't have our date nights. We didn't Ooh, continue nurturing yeah. our romantic, you know, husband, wife relationship. That was one of the biggest factors, I think. And so that mm-hmm. was just how we basically stopped nurturing that part of our lives and just became those co-parents and the, the roommates. Yeah. So when you woke up from this, it sounds like you gained like a lot of awareness about the relationship, about maybe what led up to things ending the way they did. And so um, I guess that awareness continued after the breakup and as you started healing and that's how you found coaching. Yeah. So that, that process took a while because I was making up for last time, kind of like yeah. uh, any, any free weekend I had, you know, kids every other weekend, but free time trying to fill it with dates and just feeling like I was wasting time and, and, and didn't really know what I was doing, but I was, I was trying to, yeah. and I, I probably had around 85, 90 dates, you know, close to hundred dates in the first 14 or so months. How many different women? Oh, no, no. So that's first dates. I had a, (laughs) like a six, six month. Well, I didn't really know what I was doing. What was your, your percentage success rate for second dates? Yeah, that was the thing. Like the first three months, I was like, I keep having these first dates, but it's not going to second date. And Uh that was part of me not knowing where I was or what I needed or, or hadn't been growing. And wanting a relationship or wanting a girlfriend, but not really being ready and other people yeah. seeing that. But about three months in, um, I went on like three or four dates with somebody. And after the fourth date, she said, um, so over the summer I had moved out, but we were still separated. We weren't divorced. California it takes six months from when you file to when divorce can be finalized at the very minimum six months in a day. But I hadn't filed paperwork even. So this person um, had three, four really great dates. But after the last date, she texted me and said, you know, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that you're technically still married to somebody. And Mm -hmm. so that was the end of it with her. And that that was kind of like, okay, I need to push this forward. I was trying to give my ex-wife time to process and um, come to terms with everything. She did end up being diagnosed with clinical depression. And so there was a lot of ups and downs over like the next two, three years from that. But um, 
that December of 2015, um, had a really great first date with somebody. I actually had t- tickets to see the weekend down in San Jose um, on like, I forgot what tour it was, but this concert. So I was I took her out there on the first date. And then our second date, we went to um, this, this really nice bar slash restaurant. We had some drinks uh, overlooking the ocean in San Francisco. And she was like, I know you just got out of your marriage, um, but I think you're really cool. And, and would you be open to dating, but not exclusively? So you could still date other people, but we could still, you know, pursue this and, and not mm. have it be exclusive. So we were together for about six or seven months leading into 2016. And so that's part of the period where I was still going on first dates with other people, still getting my sea legs back, so to speak, and learning what I was doing and what I wasn't doing. And then after that, I was in a relationship for about a year and eight months. And so that relationship was another big eye-opener for me, just realizing what I want, what I don't want, and being able to speak up for my needs, and which was, mm. wasn't something I had done in my marriage, or like in general, in life. Um, there's a really awesome book, especially for men, called No More Mr. Nice Guy. It's sort of the, the male version of codependency, where you, you know, happy wife, happy life, and whatever you want goes, yeah. and you're sort of trying to make everybody else happy with a covert contract that if I fulfill your needs, then my needs will be met, but you're sort of living in resentment and unhappiness because you're never speaking for what you want. Um, so yeah. near the end of that relationship, I was realizing something's off with this relationship. I don't can't quite put my finger on it, but I'm not really happy and I want more. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I did like my own little journaling exercise and realized that, you know, besides, you know, kind of some of the general things, um, I wasn't quite ready uh, emotionally, but also I realized that you know, there's certain things I want out of a relationship and I'm a very sexual person. And that part of the relationship was with her wasn't where I, you know, ideally would want. And I didn't realize that at the time, but it took me in, you know, a few months after that to even realize and be able to put my finger on it. Okay. So here's, here's another thing that I really want out of a relationship, a non-negotiable yeah. or like a, a must have in a relationship. So starting to get to the point where I could be able to identify what I actually want out of a relationship and not just the idea of, of being with somebody. I'm then, so uh, glad that oh, yeah. you're saying this because um, Claire and I both work with, with men, um, despite what some people believe. <laughs> we're, very, we're very used to hearing them. Um, I know you probably mostly work with women, but that's actually yeah. not true at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been hearing this type of thing from lots, lots of men. Um, so I'm really glad that you're sharing that. I think it's really important. I think that a lot of men feel powerless in their relationships and a lot of men don't know how to talk about it and don't know how to identify why it is that they, that they feel this way. And Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to have male voices in this, in this space. Um, I think it'll encourage a lot of people to, you know, seek to bring the, the same type of gratification into their dating lives. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. So I, after that, I went through a few other relationships. I was uh, a non-primary partner to someone who was in a poly relationship. Oh, she we're going to talk about that. Her. Don't worry. Yeah, she, she was, <laughs> we'll get there. Him and, and so that was, um, I needed some time after that a year and eight months relationship where I tried to date and then realized that I wasn't ready to date. But yeah. just when I was starting to come to that realization, she found me and said, Hey, you know, what do you think? And so we were together for a while. And so that was a nice kind of in between where it was without the pressure of like a full monogamous, like serious relationship, but we could still spend time together. And then later on, I I realized that I wanted a little bit more out of life and relationships. And like with all the first dates, there's reasons, sometimes there's reasons where 
it ends at the first date. And so for me, that was realizing I knew about like relationships part and I was getting good at that, but the first date part and kind of the, the chemistry and the flirting was where I was lacking. So I actually yeah. worked with a coach a few years ago, like three years ago or so. And that was my big holdup was my own self-value, self-worth and realizing that it's okay if I flirt and I do things that they create that kind of chemistry and attraction on first dates. Because if you go through first date and you're very gentlemanly and talking about different things, you're creating like a platonic connection and mm. showing up that way. But if the woman doesn't realize that I'm interested, then it's like, oh, there's no spark. It's it kind of that yeah. myster mysterious thing, mysterious element that's missing. So once I was able to do that, then it kind of opened up things for me. And I wanted to go through coaching because I'd been in really great relationships with really amazing women, but a lot of times it was, they were super into me on that first or second date. And then things kind of fell into place where I wanted to have more of an ability to be more proactive about pursuing or showing my interest to make things happen on a on a different level where it wasn't just being in like the passenger seat or the back seat. It was I, me taking control. Yeah. yeah. Being the pursuer rather yeah. than the pursued. You mentioned a few times not knowing that you weren't ready and then realizing, <laughs> oh no, I'm not ready. How did you know that when you were ready and what do you recommend to people in terms of that conversation with themselves? in their situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's different for everybody, but if you can go back and look at the relationship and understand actually why it ended, not blame the other person, like own mm -hmm. your own faults and accountability. If you know things you would have done differently, could have done differently and can own up to that. Oh. Um, I think that's part of it. And then yeah, I think good. the other part is more on the healing side. So are you actually excited to go out and meet new people or are you doing it to avoid feeling lonely? Like what is your reason for wanting to date? Are you trying to not feel lonely anymore or that you should be in a relationship because that's what society or family or whoever expects, yeah. but doing it for the right reasons. Um, and then like the third part is, I think just being honest about what you want because I, I totally think it's okay and I advocate for people to date for reasons other than a serious long-term relationship if they're not ready for one. Just yeah. because you're not ready to find a partner and settle down and start a family doesn't mean you necessarily shouldn't be out there dating, but you just have to be honest, first of all, with yourself and then mm -hmm. with the other people. So don't go out and say, yeah, I'm looking for a relationship, but then be the emotionally unavailable person who's been <laughs> yeah. along for three yeah. months. I've yeah, done I'm, that. <laughs> not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so knowing why you're out there, just being honest about it and then let the yeah. other person decide if they want to engage with you, still connect with you or yeah. move on if that's not what they're looking for. We actually did an entire clubhouse room on just casual dating where we talked about yeah. it for yeah 90 minutes. And I was, I think one of my favorite ones actually. And I think that there's a lot that can come out of dating without commitment. Could oh, be another exactly. Exiles episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it takes time to like learn how to date because yep. you don't go from being married 17 years to jumping into the relationship with the next person you haven't tried, you don't know, you may end up with the same kind of person or, or issues in a relationship, but you also want to give yourself time to enjoy life a little bit and not feel like the relationship is the only version of you that that's okay yeah. to be. Yeah. I might just agree with that. <laughs> so good. In that question, it kind of brings up this nebulous topic of communication how to do it well, how to not do it well. 
or how to avoid not doing it well, I suppose. Um, how do I, yeah, you right. yeah, what do you, <laughs> how do you feel about this term open communication and like, where do you see the challenges both for yourself and for other people? Yeah, I, there's the phrase like communication is key. And I heard this yeah. on another podcast. I forgot who the comedian was basically it's not communication is key, like good, open, honest communication is key. That's like saying mm-hmm. the key to good painting is paint or the key to good meal. <laughs> is, totally, is yeah. It's like, what is the communication? Silent treatment or fighting, verbal arguments, passive aggressive, that's communication, but it's not yeah. honest, clear, you know, respectful communication. So for I me, think I the, think probably the person I spoke to the most in like the entire, everyone I've ever dated was actually my abuser. I think oh, yeah. that we probably actually talked more than anyone I've ever even known. And he was, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, not, not communication, but yeah. I, it reminds me a lot of how people say, oh yeah, I'm setting these boundaries. Like I need to be good at setting boundaries. But then if their partner sets a boundary, it's like, no go they don't know how to respect boundaries and then like part of communication is not just like verbal onslaught of all of your communication it's also like listening back is that what you're saying yeah and it needs to be the two two two-way street you know it's a dance not a one person dictating um even in like uh being able to dtr I, I tell people, don't say, what are we? Because that's still you letting the other person decide and set the terms. It's here's what I feel. Here's what I want. Here's what I hope we could be, et cetera, et cetera. How do you feel about that? And so it's the two way, not a, I'm in the backseat of the taxi. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Hoping it's going where you want to go. And it's not a, here's what I need from you. Take it or leave it. Well, I guess it sort of is, but it is that you have to listen and respect the other person because it is like a dance. It is a two-person partnership, you know, outside of poly or whatever. Could be more. But yeah, but it's a two-person communication. Start with two. You have to listen and respect. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, and I think that starts with getting really honest with yourself because you can only be as honest with somebody else or as close to or intimate with somebody else as you are with yourself. So you have to really know how you're feeling and. Some people, like a lot of men, grow up not knowing how to be in touch with that or, or recognize their feelings. Or anybody in a family that was told, you know, feelings aren't important or don't cry or suck it up mm. or that's the luxury. And we just, it's kind of survival mode. You don't know, like, even in those situations, your feelings, your wants, your needs aren't important because, you know, somebody said so or because that doesn't help the family survive or, or make ends meet. Yeah. So we, a lot of us grow up learning that what we want and what we feel doesn't matter. And we don't have the emotional language to process that or to know how to communicate that. It'd be Mm -hmm. like growing up and only being able to see a few colors, like black and white, like because movies were black and white and you see red here and there, like as a a guy and you don't know how to process a lot of emotions, but things bubble up into like anger or, or, or whatever that is. That's, that's like everything's black and white. And then you see red sometimes, but we don't have the emotional vocabulary the emotional uh, language to deal with that so if you can get to a point where you can recognize actually this is what i want how am i feeling right now and be able to express that understand yourself um then it's a lot easier to communicate rather than sitting there and how do i feel i don't know how i feel i just feel lost or any sort of like in a, a haze versus being very clear about what's going on and even if you're partway there and you can say 
I'm not really sure, but this is how I've been feeling. And, and you, that's where the conversation, the two-way conversation comes into play where you can at least understand and listen rather than withdrawing or going cold for a week, you know, going radio yeah. silent for a week or running away because you don't know how you feel or they don't know how you feel. It kind of sets that apart. But if you can at least be open to that, and I think even just going to therapy or having some sort of outlet to talk about that um, with yeah. friends, therapy, something like that allows you a safe space to be able to start admitting that, especially for men, that it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have feelings that you don't know what to do with. It's okay to not have the answer, but you're still searching and you're being honest and not, yeah. you know, having a mask on that's, oh, everything's fine. I'm fine. And then you end up in a depression or using alcohol or substances or something to deal with the fact that there's no other outlet for you that feels safe. I like that tip a lot. Thank you. Um, I think that's a really great um, segue into, you know, the semi main topic of today's conversation, which is defining the relationship, also known as the DTR. <laughs> conversation. Um, one reason I was excited to invite you as a guest and excited for this conversation is in the time that I've gotten to know you, um, you know, particularly through our clubhouse, because we share a lot about our lives on clubhouse. Um, <laughs> you have shared some, some stories that just really left me thinking like, wow, we can talk so easily about open communication and what it looks like, but his stories are like, whoa, he would just, cause was like completely faced with this yeah. and, um, you know, in real life scenarios and the way that you navigated it, um, you know, I thought, I thought was really, really valuable. And also it seemed to me that you learned a lot about open communication and defining the relationship through, you know, just being faced with opportunities or, you know, <laughs> or like chances where you kind of had to do it. Um, opportunities. So, I like yes, that spin on it. <laughs> Some people may call them traumatizing experiences, but <laughs> I we don't... call them opportunities. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it seems to me that it, from what I've understood about your stories, that it really led you to the place where you are today as a date coach and someone who loves, um, who's actually an authority on this because you've done it. So um, I hope that you won't mind. I was hoping you would, you know, kind of dive into a couple of these stories with us. Um, you, um, you know, you mentioned earlier this experience that you had after getting divorced, um, being, being given the opportunity to explore polyamory. And that was all about communication with this person. So I'm not going to give too much away. Uh, do you mind telling us about it? Yes. So, and to be clear, this is the poly person later on and not the open relationship at the beginning. Damn, uh, Brian. So, so at the beginning, <laughs> I mentioned before, so it was, it was a few months, you know, at the end of the year after I had moved out where the, the woman I'd been on, on a date with, we were on the second date. She suggested, she um, suggested we try like an open relationship where it's still okay. We would both date each other date other people, but still have our time together. And that was like a, a good period for me to explore being in a relationship and openly communicate, have like ground rules as far as, you know, what our boundaries were, yeah. um, but also not be so, you know, have so much pressure on myself to be in a relationship with just her. I could still date. She was still dating and we knew it wasn't necessarily going to be something super long-term. Our one rule was, um, 
is if you start sleeping with anybody else, just let the other person know so they could have an informed decision. But this um, is but like pretty on, high uh, level communication for someone who's just gotten divorced and is now yeah. dating again. And for someone to just be so open <laughs> with you about the fact that they want to have multiple partners and, yeah. you know, having these conversations can be really confronting. Did you feel confronted? Um, it was actually kind of eye-opening because of just where I had come from and, and through a religious upbringing, there's other things I had to deal with, but just the fact that people could be open and say, this is what I want. And I'm okay with something that doesn't fit like the standard narrative of what a yeah. relationship looks like, but it was refreshing. I was like, that sounds actually, that sounds nice because I don't feel pressure to do one thing or the other, and we can just continue with this. Um, and so that was really fantastic as far as just communicating with each other and having our, our together time, our, our away time. She lived up in the city and I lived further away and I had my weekends with my kids. So just balancing that, but I still got to, um, we still had like road trips and weekends away and cooking at her place and um, like film festival and SF. So we were all, you know, doing sorts of things that were relationship related or kind of being in a relationship, but without the pressure of what's what else is going on and are you cheating yeah. kind of thing because because it's discussed beforehand it's not cheating it's it's understood that um i was still new and fresh out of a, a marriage and not necessarily ready for a serious long-term relationship but it was still worth pursuing and spending time together in that yeah. capacity just to because we all have needs and we all want connection and love and intimacy and so that was a, a way for both of us to be fulfilled in that respect without all of the pressure that comes with like a, a standard like a uh, normal relationship I mean, it sounds container. good to me yeah <laughs> personally yeah, yeah and you, just being able to communicate that up front is yeah. uh was really great what do you advise for people who are like oh that sounds really good except i know i'm i'm gonna fall deeply in love with this person and mm -hmm. then i'm gonna be left brokenhearted even though right now you know this is exactly what i want and what i feel prepared for but i'm gonna get to know this person and then i'm gonna be hurt hmm. like yeah. how do that's you a great question. avoid that yeah that's a great question um i think it's what you mentioned there just being self-aware enough to know what you're capable of and what you're not if you go in yeah. blind you think oh yeah i got this i can get in there and not have any feelings and you're sort of in denial or lying to yourself, you may get so far down the rabbit hole that you're sort of stuck with this person where you had an agreement up front that was different than how you're now feeling. But that just means you have a little bit of growing to do and face yourself and have that conversation with yourself. Realize that if you keep going without saying anything to them, that you're just going to become more attached and it's going to become more difficult to, for you. So you, you either have to walk away or have that conversation with the person and see how they're feeling. There's actually, it's not a massive uptick, but there is a growing trend of something called fast sex, slow love, where normally people get together, together, they date for a while, then they have sex and then get into a relationship, but with more casual relationships and people not, not getting into, you know, finding the relationship as early um there has been a growing trend and i heard this i think from the match.com data scientist and she's like got phd and all this kind of stuff um but she was saying that from the data that they do an annual survey of thousands of people that there is this growing trend that people are having these casual relationships but realizing you know a few months six months in or whatever that they actually have been spending so much time together that they grew to you know have feelings for each other but if yeah. you 
if you can have that conversation, say it's a, another DTR conversation. Hey, I know we said this at the beginning, but actually this is how I've been feeling lately. So I want to talk to you about that and see how you feel, see how that comes across to you, what comes up, um, mm -hmm. see if that's something you want to be, uh, you'd be open to exploring to again, or like continuing to explore, or if it's going to be too much for you and that's not what you want. So that's the being honest with yourself and being able to communicate that to yeah. the other person and just getting to that point of knowing what you want and can you communicate that in a, a way that allows the respects the other person and what they want and accepting the the hard part sometimes is accepting their yes or their no or whatever yeah. because you want things to go your way but yeah. just and that's mm -hmm. like honesty with yourself boundaries with yourself and respecting their honesty their truth that their life is what they want and then their boundaries what they say yes or no to yeah so this okay so this was what you consider to be an open relationship and yes. and this kind of um i guess opened you up to the possibility of later on being in a polyamorous relationship yes yes okay so so that was non-exclusive and uh -huh. so that looks a little bit different than a, a polyamorous relationship mm -hmm. and i think they're depending on the person there are like seven or nine kinds of poly but it's basically up to the people like a dozen <laughs> yeah it's up to the people in that relationship to define the terms of what they're okay with what they're not okay with and set those rules and for all the parties involved to abide by those rules so after my year and eight month relationship i tried to get back out so that was around 2017, 2018. I got out of that. I was trying to date again and doing the typical guy thing. Like, I'm just going to jump right back out there. And yeah. after a few months, I realized, what am I doing? I, 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 I'm having feelings and I need to take some time to heal those. But right as I was starting to wind down on, on dating, uh, I connected with somebody. She reached out to me and said, hey, do, can, I, can we grab some drinks? And then I said, sure, this is what's going on, but sure. Yeah. And she was actually in a, uh, she had a primary partner that she lived with, but she was poly. And so she was looking for other partners, like one or, you know, a few other partners to have, um, this relation relations relationship with. And so that's sexual, but it's also intimate and just kind of being in a relationship, but having multiple people, like having different friends that you spend time with doing different things. Yeah. And that brings different things to your life. So I was open to that. And we, we had that date, we went on a few other dates and we just started spending more time together. And because that was something I had done before, but also it took off the pressure of, I don't need to be this, you know, the only person and kind of the, the pressure of having the obligation of, of building into that serious relationship with her. And it was a time for me to be able to connect and take my time to heal without completely turning everything off and sitting at home alone, but also without mm. being um, in a full, like serious monogamous relationship where I had to be ready to be fully present and, yeah. and healed with my emotions. So it was a good, um, I'd say like five or six months or so that we spent together and um, that was really a lot different because it wasn't just like a, a non-exclusive or an open relationship, but because she had a primary partner and was had had myself and then sometimes to go on dates with other people. There's a lot of boundaries. There's a lot of communication. So this is, you know, having your STI checks and and knowing, communicating, you know, 
using protection and when was the last time you had it to check and and just being very open about that um and then with jealousy of course it's a lot more communication so just knowing that whatever rules she had with her primary partner about what she would tell him or not tell him and then what what i wanted to know what i didn't want to know so just figuring out what those are and it takes a lot more communication and honesty and and maturity, I think, than a normal relationship, yeah. because you have to communicate all these and navigate what all of that feels like. Hey, this is how I'm feeling today. I'm not sure. Could we talk about this? Or when that happened, and when you, when I didn't hear back from you, this is how I was feeling. You know, yeah. can we establish kind of check-ins and, and communication guidelines for us to make everybody feel comfortable? Whereas, yeah. like a normal relationship, you go in for one, two, three, four dates. Will, will they text back? Will they, won't they text back? And it's, is it too soon? If I say something, will they run away? Yeah. So it's very ambiguous, very hazy. Whereas like in a, a poly relationship like that, you have to be very clear to navigate that without hurting people and just respecting everybody yeah. because there are so many, not, not a ton of partners, but there are different people involved and you want to be careful <laughs> with it. Yeah. There's so much unspoken in like uh, the, what we've grown up with as like the typical relationship yeah there's Mm -hmm. it's so much is unspoken and then also like I think it's really good that you're highlighting that it's not just one conversation it's multiple conversations and these things change and sometimes you have to see how you feel about something before you realize you've never experienced it before so how do you know that actually that's not going to work for you (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it might mean revisiting conversations and that's something people can apply whether there's one partner or many partners it's one thing i just really love about polyamory i'm kind of on fire about poly these days you two i'm in (laughs) i have to say i'm loving this um brian if you can think of anything and if you don't mind me asking what do you think was like the most uncomfortable thing or uh, most uncomfortable conversation that you had during this um, polyamorous relationship Mm. I I don't know that was uncomfortable because I had gotten to a point where I just knew I had to be super honest with myself about what I wanted and was ready for and wasn't had it been years prior I, in, in other relationships, I was afraid to say how I was feeling or unsure about, and I had some things that some fuck ups that I, I regret, but it taught me kind of to open my eyes to, instead of doing things and acting out to just listen to my feelings and to my heart and not act in ways that are, are sort of like protest behavior or that may get me in trouble because I'm too scared to actually have the conversation like that. So I got to the point where even at the beginning of that relationship was like, I, I'm not ready for like a relationship. I'm, I'm still healing I went through this stuff, but we can spend time together. And this is where I'm at. I'm at, if it's 60%, I'm not gonna be at hundred percent, but I'm maybe at 80% soon. But if, if that's acceptable to you, you're sort of negotiating the terms of a relationship up front. Um, so both people, you know, everybody knows what you're going into it with. And so that taught me to just be okay with the fact that I'm not going to scare somebody away or or if if I'm not enough for them in that moment or at all, then that's okay. And there's abundance, there's not scarcity, but if you're too scared to say how you're feeling, because you don't want to rock the boat, that was my big thing for years and years and years, like the codependency a little bit is if I say something, if I say what I want, 
then they may be unhappy. And then I'm just trying to make sure everybody else is happy to not rock mm-hmm. the boat. I had to get to that point, like I said, where I'm comfortable saying what I want, even if that rocks the boat a little bit, because I have to be true to myself first and foremost. And yeah. so that's the, that was one of the big points for me in those, in those years of post-divorce is, is learning to listen to and, and acknowledge what I'm feeling and what I want and be okay with that, even if it means I may let somebody down or disappoint them because I have to be true to myself first. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe from what I understand that you took this all in when you decided that you were going to transition out of this relationship. Yeah. Um, so the poly relationship ended. So we were still dating. It was the new year. And after like three or four months, I was feeling better about like my own well-being. So she and I had a discussion and, and I started going on dating apps again and stuff, but I did meet somebody and I wasn't looking for anything serious right off the bat. And the person I, I connected with was um, divorced and had a, a three-year-old son. So at the beginning, it was just, you know, spending time together and seeing where it went. And I was, you know, going on a few dates here and there with other people. But I started to actually have really strong feelings for this person, this, this single mom. So that was sort of a transition where I knew that I was in a different place and I needed to bring things to an end with the person I had been in the poly relationship with um, and just do that as delicately and as respectfully as possible. Yeah. It's amazing. What a, like for someone who had not dated for 17 years, I mean, this is such a, yeah. um, you know, a, an enormous amount of experience to gain kind of quickly and such a diverse amount of experience. Um, something else I was hoping we would talk about is that you have also had opportunities to have open communication on very first dates. And, you know, I think that there's a particular story that you're, you know, that I'm aware of that I thought would be really, really valuable to our listeners because coming off of a breakup, I think that a lot of people feel like they can't use their voice, um, on a, on a first date. And that sometimes people do things that they end up regretting for lack of a better word. So I'd love you to um, tell this first date story of yours. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I would, I would love to tell the story. Um, (laughs) So this was very soon after, or like near the end of my time that I was working with a coach, uh, a dating coach in New York and learning how to be um, more open and vulnerable and, and like authentic to who I am rather than holding back, but just being a little bit flirty and giving compliments and just owning my own attraction to, to women. Um, so this was a first date. We met for drinks. We were having a good time talking. We talked, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes or whatever. We went next door and grabbed some pizza. It's kind of an open place. They had different stands and there was like a live band playing in one area. So we grabbed some beers, we grabbed some, some pizzas and we're having a good conversation there with the band playing. And this was about two, two and a half hours into the date. And at this point, like as a guy, it's with uh, just a perception and my image of how tough we're supposed to be and, and how like good with women we're supposed to be. I hadn't like gone home with a woman like on a first date. Like there had been times where technically it was, but it's not something I had done on the regular or anything like that. So I was just like, okay, I've never done this before. I'm just going to say, to this woman, hey, I'm really enjoying talking to you. Would you like to like go back to my place or your place and just continue talking? All right. And she was like, 
yeah, I'm I'm a grown ass woman, sure. Yeah, and then so we figured out the logistics. And you're like, are you and, sure? We don't have yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was. I like and I, that. <laughs> and I had no expectations of having sex. It was just to yeah. like wanted to kiss her, wanted to make out. So we. So, and also, back, you were practicing. Yeah, just being more. Yeah, cool. yeah, putting it out there, yeah. and like you're not gonna make any shots you don't take. You're not gonna get anything yeah. you didn't ask for. So it was, <laughs> all right. You know, couldn't hurt. Um, so we ended up back at her place and we were on the couch and we're had the TV on or music or something. And we were making out and got a little bit more hot and heavy and mm-hmm. hands are, hands are wandering. Flailing. And, flailing. <laughs> and she says, she puts a pause and steps back or like leans back and says, Hey, uh-huh. I don't want to just, just because of germs and thing. It's a little bit weird for me, but I don't want to be sleeping with anybody that's sleeping with anybody else. So mm-hmm. if you don't have sex tonight, that's fine. If uh, you do, just know that that's what I would hope for. And I would just want you to be honest with me. So I don't remember the exact words, but that was the gist of what Go she had her. said. And yeah, for right? me, that was, that was totally fine. I wasn't expecting, I didn't need sex. I wasn't going to be mad and storm out of there. It was just, <laughs> yeah. we, just went out and we were having a good time. Also, when you were at your own place. I know we were you just her, storm we were out place. of your own place. <laughs> I want someone to pull that yeah. move though. Yeah. <laughs> just leave yeah, them like was... uh <laughs> totally. Yeah, it was it was a good moment and I, I loved that she said that. And I wouldn't have pushed for, for sex anyway. We we're just hanging out, but I, I love mm-hmm. that she said that. And for me, I, I took a moment to process that and think that okay, if, if sex means no other sex partners, basically exclusivity. I had this first date with her, I think it was like a Friday night and I had a few other first dates set up in the following weeks. I didn't want to like say, I'm not going to go out with anybody else for the foreseeable future, just because of how the last couple hours have gone. I don't need sex that bad. And I don't want to be dishonest and say, sure, and go along with it. But then, you know, continue. That was fine. Don't have to have sex. And because for me, that exclusivity on the first date, that was too early for me. It's like, yeah, first dates, you know, sex or no sex. I don't want to necessarily be exclusive with somebody after that first date. So um, I said, that's fine. And we just made out some more and we, we didn't, have sex but we we had a good evening and it went really well and like sunday i think i invited her over and we were watching the witcher this was a few years ago we watched a couple episodes of the witcher so we ended up having a bunch of dates in the like the next three weeks i did go out on a few dates with a few other people just to let those pan out and see where they went but um the like about three weeks in we um i had already had I already bought tickets to um, like an indie show in San Francisco, a rock a indie rock show. She had tickets to Hamilton on that same night. So we ended up going out. We went to dinner, uh, went to Hamilton, went to the show. We, we had booked a hotel room in the city. And so after, after the indie show, we went to this bar and we were drinking and playing pool. Then we got back to the hotel and it had been like three weeks of pent up, but nothing beyond that you know so we get back to the hotel and it was sort of one of those you see in the movies where it's like get into the door and then as soon as you're through the door you're sort of fumbling around and and stripping things off and and so that was finally it it could happen but yeah so that and that was 
was pretty amazing too. But just setting that boundary, knowing what you're okay with and being honest about it and then seeing where it goes. Yeah. And I bet that, you know, in the hotel after an awesome evening, yeah, knowing like, actually, I do like this person. It's not just these two hours that I know about them. Yeah. It's probably a lot I better. Did you need to then have yet another communication or another conversation about what that had meant? Um, we like the next weekend or like soon after we were talking about like continuing to date. And this was at the very beginning of the pandemic. So things were shutting, starting to shut down. And I was mostly wound down with what I was in the dating I was doing. There was one person I had been on a couple of dates with and first date, she had said, I'm not looking for anything exclusive because she was, this other person was um, going to move to another city, like other part of California in three months. So she was just looking to yeah. date and not have anything exclusive. Um, but yeah, so this person and I, who we were dating for like three weeks and, and had that that awesome, awesome night out. Yeah, we did have a conversation about, okay, do we want to continue dating? How is this going? Um, and just to continue that, we actually went to um, we went snowboarding up in, um, name escapes me now, um, but we went snowboarding and on a Saturday up in the mountains. And then the next day, Sunday, we had tickets for the next day, but the resort was shut down because COVID was starting to hit oh, and they were no. not wanting that. So we, we were kind of stuck up in the snow there for an extra day, but that was sort of the start of our pandemic semi cohabitation. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, this isn't on our list of things to talk about, but do you have any tips for men on the dating apps? Because typically the problem is, is they can't get dates. And that didn't seem to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seriously, <laughs> you were doing something right. You were doing something right. Oh my God, yeah. totally. So I don't know, rapid is... fire, just quick advice. Yeah, yeah. So like the first dates was where I needed all the help, but like dating apps... I think it's more like a buyer seller market in real estate. So if more women want relationships or like more serious dating than men, then men who are putting themselves out there in a, in a good way, like a respectable way and um, just showing up in that space, like good pictures, good bio, then it's not hard to get dates and maybe you disagree, but I think women care about looks less than men. So as long as like your presentation is good, decent yeah. haircuts and you're groomed, you're not, don't have scraggly, whatever, and decent yeah. clothes that fit and you show up like as a, and treat the woman, treat the person you match with, or you're on a date with as the normal human being. I don't think there's a lot that uh, can go wrong. There's, there's more you can do. And I had to work on like the, the man to woman and like the flirting and, and putting my stuff out there. But if you go at it with, just the curiosity of getting to know somebody and being respectful and, and hey, you seem cool. We have some stuff in common. Let's let's go out. But yeah, my the, the two biggest things are having decent pictures and a good bio. And pictures, guys, a lot of times, like my my theory is why there's so many, here's me holding a dead fish picture, is because guys don't have a lot of pictures of themselves. It's not like we go out and say, here, I'm gonna take a selfie here, or here, take a picture of me in front of this. We don't do that a lot. So when when guys look back through their Facebook, what pictures do I have that I can put on my dating app? The picture of you fishing or hunting or whatever yeah. is usually one of the few that you might have, or like sunglasses at the at the baseball stadium, whatever it is. So I don't have. Oh, a lot there's of so many stadium photos. You're right. I never yeah. thought about that. <laughs> so we don't have a lot of pictures, but if you can take some time to 
take some pictures of yourself. Selfie camera, like holding the camera close will distort your face. So if you can put it down turn on the timer, stand back, you can get a better view and, and um, actually have some time to like pose, smile, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, you can ask a friend, female friend, guy friend, take a picture of you. Yeah. Just have having good pictures. If, if you are serious about like dating and want like to match with and find a high quality woman that you um, is on your level and you really want to build something with, even like a couple hundred bucks, you can hire a photographer and you know do a photo shoot, two or three outfits and have some really awesome pictures. Um, Shout out to Saskia and Hey Saturday. We did an episode with her actually several months back. Yeah. Mm. So just putting in the effort there of presenting different sides of you, smiling. Like if you if your pictures are sunglasses, fancy car, whatever, you might come off as a little douchey. So like no sunglasses, (laughs) no group pictures, nothing with like your ex in it or your ex cropped out. Oh my god, Um, no! Those are the worst. Yeah, they're the worst. Um, just having decent pictures will take you a long way. And then no empty bio, actually filling out the bio, but having something that's actually your personality, maybe a little bit of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, I, I watched a lot of TikTok, but there's so many laughable, like cringy examples of men that get so angry or have no bio or just write oh really God. awful things. It's is like, oh, you have to do it. Right Samson, have you watched Yes, her? yes, that's what yeah. I'm thinking about. She's what is this, you guys? Different prompt. Yes. Yeah, she's like, prompt. <laughs> like, yeah. what's if, the, so if, uh, like, is this a uh, woman on TikTok? She does these amazing viral videos where people send her screenshots of dating profiles of both men and women. Um, but uh, we can guess it was probably the men who um, they pick a prompt. You know, you're designing your your profile, you choose which questions you're answering. Uh-huh. And in the question that they answered, they're like, I don't know. And she's like, pick a different prompt then. But gotcha. it, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That is a good point. You have to put in some yeah. effort. So um, yeah. When it yeah, comes but the though pictures to- in the bio basically yeah. it shows effort. And if you're not putting any effort, then yeah. it looks like you're not really serious. Maybe you're not serious, but I think um, just being able to read between the lines of how much mm-hmm. effort somebody puts in, how serious they are, what their personality is, um, at least gives you a starting point. And if you're a guy, you're putting in pictures from five, 10 years ago, where you got sunglasses, there's you don't really see what you're about and your yeah. bio is empty or just has random stuff, then there's not much for people to go on. So of course, you're not going to get a lot of matches. So it's basically mm-hmm. marketing and how you market yourself. You're still the same person. You don't have to be somebody else, but it's how you present yourself in that space that will get you more or less matches. Yeah. And then coming back to the communication added with um, the date app question, you know, I mean, obviously you have to chat with someone and, you know, get into the DMs, you know, you must have some (laughs) tip or some, you know, what do you do in the DMs that you're actually getting to the point that you're setting up, you know, 80 dates in however many months it was. (laughs) Yeah. So this was like probably my strongest point because I could, ask good questions and flirt a little bit, be like accidentally charming in the DMs. But like the first date be like where I would be very safe and, you know, not, not uh, very forward. So the, the DMs, um, like when you match, um, a lot of people just say, hi, Hey, what's up? Or how, how's your weekend? It's very boring questions. And if, mm. if somebody yeah. gets that like five, 10, 50 times, yeah. they don't want to answer the same question over and over and over and over and over mm-hmm. and may just get ignored. So my, my, 
tactic. My approach is just to start a conversation, put in some effort, show that you read the profile. So it's like, hey, Janice, so glad we matched. I love your third picture. Where was that taken? Or what's your dog's name? Or I see that we both like vinyl. What's your what's your most valuable record or something that shows I agree start a conversation I am I'm on an app now um which I look forward to you know telling you both more about and um the biggest thing that I've loved is I have something about um thrifting in my profile and um I was the most excited about people who DM'd me asking about thrifting because they've read it. And um, I, I just thought it was a brilliant conversation starter. So yeah, I definitely say that's a, that's a great tip that people should use. Yeah. Um, and the apps now are like Tinder is still open-ended. Some of the others are open-ended um, Bumble, Hinge, OkCupid as well. They have like the prompts you can pick and answer the questions. And so those are easy ends. Um, if there's nothing really to go on or you've, you you want something a little bit quicker, um, some kinds of questions that I would go with a lot would be um, like, if it's late in the year, like what's been the highlight of your year this year? Mm-hmm. And so that could be family, it could be a trip, could be something at work, but that just yeah. very open-ended and allows the person to um, come up with something. It could be uh, one that I really liked a lot was, um, and, and this also is good to show like what kind of lifestyle somebody lives is what's your ideal Sunday. And then you give two, two examples and then like a, a line, like a blank line for the third. It's like um, sleeping in and going to the farmer's market as number one or, or getting up early for coffee and yoga and then a third and then they would describe like what they like to do on Sundays but just kind of that imagination allows you to see are they somebody who's always outdoorsy and they want to go hiking every weekend and does that fit with you do they like to do farmer's market or brunch and kind of open in a question because people love Sundays it's like our last day to relax before going back to work so that was another one um, another one I asked like during the pandemic and, and got question or got a lot of answers was um like what's a a new skill or talent or hobby you've picked up being stuck at home and so for me that was like baking and banana bread and I got (laughs) that turned into some fun conversation and some a little bit flirty conversations as well so and then you can see like what have they been doing have they been learning a language or writing a book or just just trying to cope but it's everybody (laughs) has been called experience (laughs) my new hobby is coping Coping, my new hobby is barely getting by (laughs) I mean that probably rings true to a lot of people I think everyone listening take Brian's tips I mean you really are a coach I can tell by the way you're talking and um you know I it again though just comes down to you you put in a lot of effort into this and you can tell like these are very thoughtful ways to communicate with someone just even inside of the dms yeah you get out of it what you put into it yeah yeah awesome so I I don't know I feel like we covered this yeah I think so that we just talked about okay you want to maybe just go to this last one oh okay uh, I didn't read the next one. Hang on a sec. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm happy to do it myself. Oh yeah. So what would you advise for someone who's maybe a little insecure? Like they have a big inner people pleaser that they're very aware of, but you know, they still just, they just blurt out whatever they think is going to make the other person happy. And then afterwards, maybe they're like, Oh, well, that wasn't actually what I wanted. Like how, how do you, um, coach someone through communicating if, if they're insecure about it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think 
it comes down to something like I, I used to be like that. Sometimes I still am, but you get home and you realize here's what I should have said or could have said, yeah. or here was a witty response to that joke. But being, <laughs> I think it's more authentic <laughs> to what you feel and less self-filtering. And it can be hard to do that on dates, but if you can start to like smaller steps, like with yourself, like when the barista asks you, do you want this thing? Just be honest. Oh, no, thanks. If you normally say sure to whatever and go along with whatever, just mm. standing up for yourself in smaller ways yeah. um, and making commitments to yourself. It's also uh, honest and, and commitments, but that also helps with confidence. If you make promises to yourself and stand up for yourself in those smaller ways, it can be even be um, asking for help. Like I think it goes along the lines of uh, it's kind of related to not wanting to rock the boat, but also not wanting to ask for help because you don't want to kind of engage in that way. So being open to asking for help if you need something or somebody says, hey, I'm going to Starbucks. Do you want anything? And actually saying yes. And just allowing people to help you allows you to realize that it's not the end of the world if you let somebody help you or if you say no to something or that you do something that you're self-filtering that you normally would say no to or say yes to. So I think those smaller ways uh, the smaller steps are good to build up that muscle and that confidence. And then the other part of that, I think would just be more of an abundance mindset, because if you're on the date with this person and they don't like what you have to say, that's not the end of the world. There, there's more people out there. Yeah. And then once you do that a few times, you start to realize that actually the difference of opinion is, is good. Sometimes you don't have to be, Oh yes, I, I love that book. I, you know, a lot of people, they end up saying, yes, yes, yes. I love that. Even when they have no idea what the book is or the movie is, or they hate that artist. And then they get down the road. Oh, I thought you liked the Beatles. Uh -huh. <laughs> you said that on the first date, like, oh, and then you get caught up in that. But if you can have, you can even turn that into, uh, you know, it's okay to have those different opinions or you say, I know Beatles are good. Uh, that's awesome. They're your favorite band. My favorite band is, and then some of those differences of opinions can be where the attraction comes from. So having your own opinion, um, not being afraid of having your own opinion, and then seeing, just being honest about what you like or don't like. Um, it's okay if I don't like country music and she does, but this is my favorite music. And then you can get into that conversation and be passionate about it rather than yeah. pretending to like country music. I would rather yeah. talk about all the bands I, will, I go to see or like my favorite show growing up, my, my most memorable experience. And that gets you into a more passionate and more authentic version of you rather than just, oh yeah, that's, yeah, me too, me too, kind of going along with things. Yeah. And what about as far as the difficult or sensitive or unpredictable conversations, which, you know, which is what a lot of people struggle with, uh, like politics um, and, well, yeah. not just politics, but I think that even... <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that you went there. But what I more <laughs> meant was something like, I'm really scared to ask this person, you know, like where they're at in, in the relationship is more oh, what gosh. I meant or okay. um, <laughs> something <laughs> or something like, um, um, I, I was really disappointed that you yeah, that you did this, you know, the types of things that people actually find, find it really hard to use, use their words and use their voice, because, you know, there's, there's, we're not taught to do it or they don't know what's going to happen. Like that, that type of conversation yeah. is more what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's also part of building that muscle, that skill and doing it a few times to see actually it works and it's not the end of the world and you feel better okay. about it. I had a, a friend, uh, so I, I know some people and um, 
You have friends. One of them. I have friends. Well, I have friends. But I mean, one of them, just kind of an example, it sort of goes along with things and doesn't want to bring up how they feel or what the relationship is. And so that's how you end up in a situationship or going down different paths or being on a different page, um, getting so attached, you know, six months, 12 months in when you haven't really talked about actually what's, what's going on and, and you may have a completely different understanding. But I had a, a friend who had been on, she'd been going out with a guy like four or five weeks and she the the communication wasn't great from him like she wanted him to initiate more and and um have more communication between the dates like if they went had a couple of dates a week she wouldn't hear from him for three or four days and it was it was sort of not driving her crazy but she wanted more out of their connection because they had been dating for like a month or six weeks or something so i told her like if you don't ask you're never gonna get it they're not gonna read your mind and know and suddenly change if they don't want to if they're not capable then they can say that but what does it hurt to try so she had that conversation with him and actually said oh i'm really sorry about that i will try harder and then he turned around like it didn't last super long but at least speaking up she realized that hey it's okay to ask for what i want yeah i'm not being needy just for saying hey can i hear from you between sunday on our previous date and saturday the next date can I hear from you during the week and just know you're still alive or just what's going on and have some communication there. And he's like, yeah. And then the, he was communicating better and texting and, and their relationship blossomed a little more. And she realized, Oh my God, I can ask for this. And that was a big turning point for her just seeing that it was safe. It's not going to explode the relationship. Yeah. And even if the person isn't capable of that, would you rather know now or six months from now right. when you've been holding it in and, and then you just explode, like, why don't you text me? <laughs> it's the way to yeah if you can't communicate that then yeah what happens when you are in a relationship and something is bothering you you have to build up the muscle on the easy things where yeah. the stakes are lower one date in three dates thin you know a month in the stakes are much lower than and and it's easier to build that muscle that skill than when you're six months in or five years in and all of a sudden you realize oh, i don't know how to communicate with them and anytime yeah. you know it turns into passive aggressive it turns into fights or whatever yeah your question, yeah, build it up, small, small uh, steps, small um, exercises yeah. at the beginning. Do it once, realize you didn't die, yeah. and then keep going with bigger mm -hmm. and bigger things. Um, you know, I love just generally how vulnerable and open you are, Brian, and it's been really fun getting to know you, you know, through our, um, you know, supporting people on Clubhouse and now through this episode. I just, I really think we need more men who are um, willing to, you know, just be out there with about their experience the way that, that you are. And so thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you both. Um, what are you most excited about in your business that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I am working on some programs, some multi-week programs. Hopefully we'll have one at least to launch this summer. I'm not sure if I want to do like a dating after divorce program first or like a dating for men kind of program that's specifically geared towards men. Those are a couple of ideas I'm, I'm toying around with, but um, yeah, hopefully before too long, I will have something to launch on my website. Yeah, keep your eyes on Brian's IG. Um, go follow him on TikTok as well. We'll make sure everybody knows where to find you. He has a great website with a really cool blog um, that um, people should definitely go and check out. And yeah, keep your eyes on this man, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to X-Files, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. 
If you liked this episode, please help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by following the show on Spotify. And if you'd like to connect more with us and learn about break approaching, find us on Instagram at X-Files Podcast.